Okay, welcome back to Science in Between. This is episode 10. Episode 10, we made it. Double, Double digits. digits. Look at Boom. us. Yeah, it's just like that. And uh, I'm Ollie. And I'm Scott. And this week, we're going to talk about a, a document that came out of the National Academies of uh, Science, Engineering, Medicine. Is that the official? National Ac Academies Press, I guess, is the best way to describe yeah. it. Yeah, National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine. All right. And they, they released a document recently that uh, really covers the kind of stuff we're talking about here. And we wanted to showcase it a little bit, talk about some of the principles that are um, underlying the creation of this document and, and just to you know, raise awareness that it's out there. And we'll put a link to it in the, the show notes, but it's something that I think if you are a science teacher and you're working in remote online world right now in this in-between world that we're all experiencing, I think this document is really gonna be one of the things that you're, you're gonna find a lot of comfort in because one, it, the, I think the framing principles that they share at the, at the onset are, is powerful, but then the other part of it that's great is that they provide examples for you to really see how these things play out in practice. And that to me, I think is the most worthwhile part of it. And it's something if you're working in a school and you're navigating some of the challenges with this, this is one of these things that you can go in and share with an administrator or share with a supervisor and say, this is why I'm doing this because these are some things, these are the principles of which I'm sort of like building my practices upon. And I think that's, that's a, an important starting point for the teachers who are, are working on this. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, the other thing to note, as trivial as this is, is that it is a free report. So one of the great things about the National Academies is everything that they put out is available for a free download as a PDF. So you can go to the show notes, you can click on that link and, and grab a copy of the whole report. Um, you know, this just came out, obviously, because this is about dealing with with COVID and how we deal with with teaching in this context, so it, it really is in our sweet spot. But <clears throat> but if you're a science teacher uh, or any kind of teacher um, and you're interested in this, um, this how do how do we deal with with this weird new world we're in? Like National Academies is always a great place to start because they're great. I mean, really fundamentally, what they are is they're tertiary sources. So they collect a lot of primary source research, they organize it, and then they they comment on it in a way that helps, you know, they're, they're designed for a general audience or designed for a lay audience to try and help people understand what all this, you know, ivory tower stuff means in terms of the real sort of day-to-day -day practices. So they're, that, they're great for that stuff um, and their reports are always really informative and thoughtful. If you're listening right now and you're wondering, okay, I can't get to the show notes, just type in teaching K-12 science and engineering during a crisis. That's the official name of uh, the document. And like Scott said, it's free. It's a free download. If you want to pay $45, you can pre-order the paperback, or you could also, I think they offer it in a hardbound cover for $54. But either way- Wow, you're uh, starting to sound like the catalog now. Yeah, but download it. Um, they, 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 this is how people learn, how people learn too. These are the same people that put together those documents if you're not familiar with them. But again, free downloads and they're great resources for you to share. So if you're in a supervising, supervisory capacity in your district, um, download it, share it with your, your faculty, share it with your colleagues. This is a, a really great tool. So I think the starting point for me that I, I, I wanna outline the, the four principles that they share and just unpack them a little bit. Um, well, the first one is that 
the national uh, the these national frameworks that they pre present um, specifically. Uh, it's called the Framework for K to Twelve Science Education. It's kind of very similar to the National uh, Next Generation Science Standards. Why do I always want to say the N is national? It's next. I I do that all the time. Yeah. But um, what they're saying is that even though we're changing, the first principle says we want to maintain a focus on this vision for high quality science and engineering. Um, and so even though the, the context of how we're teaching or where we're teaching has changed, it's still really critical for us to focus on science and engineering concepts and to talk about these things at all grade levels and really focusing on those cross-cutting themes, cross-cutting concepts, and those disciplinary core ideas. And, and I think that's a really great starting point that even though we're working in this in-between space, we still have to do this stuff. We still have to, we can't just say and throw up our hands and say, yeah, I'm out. Right. And, and that's what you and I have been talking about for the previous nine episodes, right? Is yep. like, what does that even look like? Is, you know, how do we think about doing high quality science instruction in an environment that is so fundamentally different from what we're used to and, and not compromising on engagement with real phenomenon, right? I mean, that's fundamentally what this is about. And, and we can't say, well, you know, it's really too bad because we're now in this COVID world and kids can't do that. Um, that's, that's not, that's not where we want to be like that as educators, we need to really, um, have principles and stick to them because the, these are the hard times. These are, these are when you find out if what your, what your commitments are, are really principles or if they're just sort of little hobbies, right? right? Because when, when the times are tough, this is when you have to say like, okay, yeah, I really do believe that kids learn through practices and, and I have to commit to that as a teacher to figuring out how to make that work in this new environment. And I think that's, that's really important for schools that may be considering, okay, we're going to teach science, you know, just as give them stuff to read, or we're going to give them, you know, sort of like prescribed curriculum from these, you know, these big clearing houses that are currently selling <laughs> curriculum to schools. And, and I think that that's a different type of engagement than the, than certainly what we're pushing and, and also what the national academies are doing too. So I think that the model of science that we're pr presenting is in line with the national academies and, and, and just to hear them saying that this can happen in this new environment is, is really, I think, important to hear. Yeah, no, it, it, it's something that needs to be said at that level, right? It, in the same in the same way that we, you know, we are, <clears throat> we suffer from a lack of national leadership, like this, we need somebody at the national level, which is what this document is doing to say, yeah, you can't compromise this, this can't be about your personal willingness to do this or not, this has to be a national commitment that we make to maintain a focus on these these, these kinds of science instruction. And I, I wanna jump ahead because I think the, the second one, actually the second two are, are the ones that I'll say get me to the core. I mean, as a science teacher, you know, I, I buy into the first one, but the next two are the, the ones that I think hit me to my core as a, as a parent and as somebody who is, is you know, really connected to, its, uh, to his community. And the, the second one is that we have to prioritize relationships, equity, and the most vulnerable students. And so I think one that really frames it from the standpoint that we have to be empathetic, mindful teachers who are thinking about what are experiences of our students. 
So, and we have some students right now who are in really challenging settings. Mm -hmm. and, and our vulnerable students are the ones that we really have to be thinking about and really caring for. And we're, we teach content. As science teachers, we teach content. We teach mm -hmm. physics, we teach chemistry, but fundamentally we teach kids. And I think that that's one of the things that, you know, one of the conversations I have with a lot of my friends is what are the things we hope stick around from this COVID? Because even though there's bad things that are happening, there's some cool things that have happened too. Like drive, you know, you can drive up and pick up your groceries. That's kind of cool. I'd like to have that stick around. But I would say that one of the things that this has done for a lot of teachers is help them refocus on the caretaking responsibilities of teaching and the, you know, the empath, em, being empathetic, uh, being thoughtful and mindful and really considering the, the relationships they have with their students and how to foster that. And, and I think that this, this has changed so much of how we interact with one another that what it's done is it's forced us to attend more to it. Mm. And that is, that's a cool outcome. I don't think it's, it's great with the settings that our students are experiencing. Some of the, you know, our most vulnerable students are, are having really hard times right now. And so that's one of the things I hope doesn't stick around. But in the same sense, I think it helps us, you know, refocus our attention to them and, and understand that they're going through some challenging times. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the interesting things about the way this all happened, right, is that the there was a shift I won't even say in the middle, it was really about three quarters of the way through the school year, right? Which means that teachers had developed relationships and understanding of how kids are. You know, they, they knew their kids and they had a sense of, of how they participate in class, what they were good at, what they weren't good at, um, you know, which kids those teachers considered to be strong and not so strong or in the, in the terminology here, sort of vulnerable or less vulnerable. And I think that shift in pedagogy from that, from what they were used to, to getting no kids in a certain way and, and way they were used to, to this whole new way. Um, and the fact that suddenly kids were shifting roles. So kids that were real participants in, in the face-to-face -face were no longer. And it, I think that shift forced um, teachers at least to some degree to reckon with this idea that um, they may have been underserving kids in their classroom without necessarily recognizing it. Right. Absolutely. And that, and that shift forced them to say, wait a minute, this kid that seemed to be doing great when, when we were face to face is now really struggling. Well, that must mean that some of the kids that I thought were doing okay in the face to face were struggling and I just wasn't either recognizing it or attending to it. And so this idea of attending to, um, you know, the, I mean, the first part of that phrase, the prioritized relationships, on some level, you know, to your point, it feels weird that we even have to say that, right? That you yeah. should actually have relationships with your kids. But I do think that that's the other f weird thing about this new, like, stripped down environment where we have so little access to social cues is we do have to, you have to make a lot more effort to develop those relationships because they, they can't be, you know, casual and serendipitous in the way that they used to be because we don't we don't have the bandwidth it, it just won't work that way so we have to be much more intentional yeah one of the things that and i don't know if i shared that story with this story with you scott uh but one of the things that happened in in maybe march or april uh, a, a teacher was sharing this story with me um they had a, a student who was in class who was doing really well and then when 
you know, they sent all the kids home and they closed the schools. Um, the students just dropped off the face of the earth in this, in the, and the teacher starting to get concerned and emailed the student, no response, emailed the parent and no response, finally reaches out to a school counselor and the school counselor calls home and finds out that the, they don't have an internet at home. The, the family doesn't have any internet access. And so what the family was doing was making plans to go to the McDonald's parking lot to be able to access the internet from the McDonald's parking lot. Mm -hmm. and, and when you think about that and our marginalized vulnerable students and how they're navigating uh, this, this remote online in between science instruction or just instruction and learning right now, I think some of that gets lost. Some of that, that access gets lost or some of the experiences that our students are having gets lost, or at least it did. And I think that it's helping us refocus some of that and saying, okay, a student's performance isn't just related to their own effort. It's related to all these other things that are happening. And, you know, really refocusing that I think is, is a critical thing. And, and I, 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 seeing that in this document to me was just like, yes, that needs to be said. And it needs to, I, I just wish it would have been number one. I think it, having it be the principal number one would have been, yeah, that's, that's the way we should go. Um, the, the third principle I think is actually um, equally important. And I think that it's great that uh, it's, it's in the document and it talks about the, I like this from an asset rather than from a deficit perspective. Mm. It says families and communities are critical assets for science and engineering learning. And so I, I one of the things I, when I work with uh, teacher candidates is I try to break this deficit mindset that, you know, they have to help their students learn in spite of, right? In spite of families or in spite of their homes or in spite of, and, and I think the way that, the National Academies have presented this is, is rather from that deficit mindset that a lot of people may have is seeing that, okay, whatever culture or whatever home or whatever family situation, there's opportunities for teaching science and there's opportunities for teaching engineering concepts there. And I, I think that is an important thing to say. It's an important thing for us to embrace as science teachers and all teachers need to embrace that as it's a break free of that 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 deficit mindset yeah i think i think it's also a really tricky one right like <clears throat> especially you know I, I and and all you've looked at this document in more detail than i have but i mean the you know the, the tricky bit of that that is i'm feeling right now like i am the most socially disconnected from my community let's say um, my, broadly speaking, than I have been in a really long time, right? Like basically since March. Um, and, and a lot of that is just that, again, going back to this idea of like serendipitous um, interactions with kids, like I, I don't have serendipitous interactions with anybody basically but my family, yeah. right? Like I don't bump into anybody anymore. I go to school, like I was in, on campus this morning. I got there at 8.30. I went straight to my room. I literally did not see another human being on my way into my room. I taught my class. I left. I did not see another human being. I, a couple, as I rode my bike off campus, I passed at a distance or on the bike path, right? And and so this idea of like, how do we think about that? And, um, and you know, yeah, families and communities are important. And, you know, in this new environment, we are getting windows into students' lives in ways that we haven't in the past, especially if they are not, 
you know, if they're not shutting their cameras off, we're seeing people's homes, we're seeing people the way that they live. <clears throat> um, and so that idea of connecting to families and communities is important, but but I do wonder, like, how do you think about that in, in this environment? Because you do, you know, I'm already having to work really hard to stay in touch with my own community, like the people I know in my, in my town that are, you know, my friends or, and my family who sometimes I would, you know, see in person, like those things, all that stuff is dropping away. And now you just sort of like go do your thing and you come home and you're in your little bubble. So I think that's a, that's a really challenging, um, you know, principle to live up to, I guess. Well, I think one of the things that's uh, nice about this document, not to like you know, rah-rah commercial about this document, but I think that one of the things that's really beneficial about this is it provides little vignettes for the reader. So it gives some, some examples of how to do that. And I, I think we all kind of feel that, that disconnect that you talk about. I was in a meeting this morning with a, a colleague of mine who's in my department. We both work at a, uh, the same university. It's like a half an hour from our, our, where we live. And she lives less than a mile away. And I have not seen her since March. And she lives less than a mile away in a community that we, there's lots of walkers and I just haven't seen her. And, you know, our kids were on the same swim team. We, you know, all this, we just haven't seen each other because everything's been so shut down. But I think that, you know, shifting back to the document, the, the idea is, you know, how can you use those home environments as an asset for teaching science? And I think that rather than seeing it as, a, as something that is a challenge, looking at it as an opportunity. And I think shifting that, what did you call it? Uh, a problem-tunity, is that what problem you call yeah. And, yeah, and I think coming back to that here is, I mean, that's what we, we could call principle three as the problem-tunity principle, mm -hmm. right? There you go, uh, yeah, sure. And if that's the problem-tunity uh, principle, I think the next one is the pandemification principle. Oh, that's and, uh, right. I know. Yeah. Look at that. Uh, pro uh, the, the fourth one says, uh, and I'll read it, uh, adjusting to changing learning environments and recovering from disrupted learning as an ongoing process that takes time. So it's embracing that, that this is going to be a disruption and it's going to take time and it's okay. So it kind of gives you permission to, to you know, mourn a little bit, you know, it gives you permission to like adjust and, and it's going to be hard. It's going to be a challenging thing um, that it, it's going to require adjustment. And that pandemification of our learning environments is going to be something that I, I think a lot of our, our, our teachers and a lot of our students and families are going to, you know, have, have struggles with. Yeah. Well, and it, I think it recognizes the thing that this, framing recognizes is that um, it, this is not a switch that gets flipped and then we're in this new thing, right? It's, it's that we had to make, the, the switch that got flipped was we couldn't have kids go to school, but what that looked like is going to be an ongoing process because we're, you know, we're really not, we don't have a handle even still yet on what this looks like, right? You know, we're, we're, we're doing stuff, but, you know, if you think about how coherent schools are, like you look at, like you could walk into school almost anywhere in the country and, and they, you know, there's marginal differences. Like maybe these folks have a block schedule and these folks have just regular periods and these, you know, whatever, but, but like school looks a lot like school, but, 
in the last six months, uh, school has started to look a lot different because there are places where there are, you know, you know, we talked about this in the beginning, like the, the local school here just went remote. So it changed from having kids every day to having kids only four days a week, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and then Wednesday is like a professional meeting and organizational day. And deep right? cleaning. So, and deep cleaning. Yeah, and deep yeah, cleaning. Right. So, you know, schools, and, and that's like one variation of uh, hundreds, right? Like, and so, so this idea of we're going to have to process this and, and, um, and that the structure of school, you know, used to be just sort of the content of school was under constant churn but now it's like the structure of school is under a constant churn where we're trying to figure out like what is the best way to organize teacher and student time to to help students learn given that we now don't have a physical facility to use or it has to be used in a totally different way and i going back to what i said before about how what are the things that stick around after this i think one of the things that's that i hope sticks around is this you know, examination of the school day and how we're using time. Because I think that, you know, there were slight variations from district to district, like, okay, maybe once district would start at 715, maybe another one would say, okay, we're going to start at 730. We're going to have 43 minute periods. We're going to have 50 minute periods. Maybe some revolutionary schools, quote unquote, would do something like block scheduling or something. Mm. But outside of that, you know, every school had some variation of the same schedule. And now, I will say we have teacher candidates in you know variety of districts and in, in three or four counties locally and so we have a hundred students across those districts and those hundred students are depending on whether they're middle school or high school whether you know some are doing monday tuesday off wednesday thursday friday some are home every day some are doing mornings some are doing afternoons it is just uh, such a variety of ways that people are approaching the school day and the school week that they, I wonder whether it's kind of opened that seal a little bit that's saying, okay, well, if we can do anything, then what do we want to do? When this is all settled, what's that gonna look like? And I wonder, um, I mean, we're still in that disrupted space, uh, but once the disruption is over, once we get back to whatever normal is gonna look like, you know, I, it's, it's gonna be hard for us to, I mean, the, the academic year has like really been stretched it's going to be hard for it to, to go back into place because it's going to be, it's going to take some new form. It's going to take some, absolutely some new form. Right. And I think the, the big question is what's that form going to be? And I, I know that's what you're asking. I think the interesting thing is that, you know, when we think about how schools are organized or why they're organized the way they are, they're really not organized to optimize student learning. Right. I mean, they're, they're organized for all sorts of other purposes. So they're organized because of when the buses are available right. and they're organized and they're also organized for what's convenient for teachers, right? Like we don't want, we don't want uh, too many preps for teachers. We don't want, you know, so like we don't sit down and say like, okay, if we wanted to make a, uh, an optimal learning environment that was the best for all kids um, and started from scratch, the system that we have now is not the system we would end up with. Sure. So, you know, <clears throat> one question is, or one con concern that I have is, you know, if, if we imagine there's like a continuum uh, and on one end is, um, you know, the most traditional, least equitable kind of teaching that we can imagine. And then the, and then the other is this panacea um, of perfection and equity. Um, 
you know, and we're somewhere in the middle w towards the, the status quo end of the spectrum on this currently, right? So as this disruption, and as you've described it, stretching or whatever occurs, will the new shape that it goes back into be more or less equitable than the old shape? Um, well, that's, it, that's a great will, perspective. Will yeah. it be better? Will it be, you know, who's, who, you know, the, the question you always ask is who's got the power to make those decisions and what are those decisions going to be based on? Because my guess is as a person who understands this stuff a little bit like you do, is that it's not going to be based on what's the best thing for kids. It's going to be based on a lot of other things. Um, and, and that's, that's, too bad. Um, and I don't know how, what we all can do to think about that and try and make it not like that. But, um, but I would love to see our schools as they reshape themselves to, to make the primary concern be what's the best way for us to organize ourselves for kids to learn. Yeah. And for teachers to teach. Yeah. But that's, that should be the second question, right? Sure. Yeah. So well, the first I mean, question is <clears throat> like, what, how do kids look, <clears throat> how do kids learn best? And then, um, you know, this, it's sort of like the analogy to, to NGSS and ambitious science teaching. It's like, you know, what, what do we want kids to, to learn and, and how do we want them to learn it? And then let's think about how the teaching can modify to that rather than have the teachers be like, look, all I know how to do is a PowerPoint. So I, you, you can't ask me to do all this other crazy stuff. Cause that's, that's not fair to me. Well, the, the, I, I talked about teacher letting the teachers teach uh, because, you know, one of the things that happened here in Pennsylvania that, you know, is in, in the spring, they said, okay, you know what, this, those big assessments that all of the, so we have these big, you know, high stakes assessments that, you know, all students at different grade levels would have to take. Uh, and they just said, okay, we're going to suspend those. And they also suspended a lot of the teacher evaluation things because mm -hmm. just because of the, the, the pandemic and you know what happened? Nothing nothing happened like that kids still graduated you know teachers still taught you know we we were able to remove those assessments and those evaluations and and the educational system that we had didn't crumble and so the question is like why are we doing those because it's not for the kids and it's certainly not for the teachers it's for somebody else and yeah. so maybe that's another thing fingers crossed that uh you know in my stretching retracting concept maybe that's one of the things that gets lost in that retraction yeah i hope so i mean but but i don't know i mean these you know as is as with everything like these issues are so complicated like the reason we ended up with standards and by extension assessments based on those standards is largely at least nominally that there was an equity issue, right? That some kids were getting a better educational experience than others. And so if we could measure that, if we could develop an assessment and say, hey, the kids in Ollie school are doing really well and the kids in Scott school are not doing very well, like we need to fix that problem, um, you know, then- That's not how that played out. I understand, I understand. I'm not trying to say that it's a good thing. I'm just saying these things are complicated, right? So the people who, who say, yeah, well, nothing went wrong. Well, it can be tricky, right? Because it can also be that um, if we don't recognize that there at least is a potential um, to use these assessments to identify areas that are, um, that are not receiving the support they need to succeed. Like if we view it that way, if we view it like a formative assessment rather than a summative assessment, like if we say like, okay, these schools that scored poorly, they suck and they need to be burned to the ground. <clears throat> and these other schools are great. Um, and 
if instead we say, Hey, look, these guys are, these guys are all proficient. These guys are not, we need to move massive amounts of resources into these schools that are, yeah. that are under, uh, under now that's not the way, we, as you say, that not only not, isn't the way it's played out. I don't even think anybody suggested that notion as, as a way to do it, but, um, yeah, it's, but, it's yeah. basically, it's, it's kind of like, you know, these kids did bad on the test. So what we're going to do is keep them in from recess, recess and, you know, right. we're going to punish them. And, and that's the, you know, a really simplistic way of framing it, but yeah. it's, it applies. You know? Yeah. Right. We're so straying. so we're school straying. has failed these kids. So what we're going to give them is more school. Yes. That's a good idea. I like that. Yeah. That's great. We, we, we are always, straying. We've strayed a little bit from the document, but we wanted to use this episode today as, as a, a way of shining a light on this uh, National Academy's uh, document that just came out, Teaching K-12 Science and Engineering During a Crisis. Check it out. It's a free download, um, and we'll put the, the link in the show notes or go out to Google and type in Teaching K-12 Science and Engineering During a Crisis. And I guess we're kind of in a crisis a little bit, a little bit. Man, yeah, when I was reading the paper this morning, I was like, I just don't know how many more crises I can take. Like, yeah. California's on fire. There's hurricanes hitting. Oregon I mean, it, too. it's. Yeah, oh, right. Sorry, Oregon. Sorry, Oregon. And Washington. Like, the whole West Coast is immolating. And then we've got, you know, hurricanes striking. And, you know, and that, I don't know, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. So what brings you joy, Ollie? Oh, brings me joy. All right. So uh, I do have something in queue, ready to roll. And the, uh, my joyful moment is Bob's Burgers. Oh, I, I'll, nice. I was a late comer to Bob's Burgers because I kind of, I'll have to say, you know, I, that, that, that Sunday night animation Fox thing, you know, there's some um, ones in there that, you know, I don't necessarily gravitate to just because I think they kind of push the envelope a little bit. I'm, I'm a little, mm -hmm. I don't want to say I'm conservative, but there's some things in there that, you know, I don't typically watch. And, and so I was late, a late comer to Bob's burgers. And you're, if you're like me, you're like, okay, the Simpsons and family guy, those kind of push the envelope a little bit. Bob's burgers is not in that field. It's, it's, it's not at all. It is the no. most feel good animated show ever. And if you're a, you know, the, the great thing is they have a, a complex family, but at the end of every episode, they all come together and you just feel the love. And so it's like kind of like if you took Cheers because it's all centered around Bob's Burger restaurant and, and you take Cheers and you kind of mix it with Modern Family and maybe The Simpsons to a degree. And if you kind of mish, mishmash those together, you'd get Bob's Burgers. And it's yeah. just joyful. It just makes me laugh. It sometimes pushes the envelope just a little bit, but not so much that you kind of feel like, like you have to go wash your hands after, right? right. It's just, it's, it's a great show. And if you haven't seen it, check it out. Bob's Burgers. Nice. So mine will contrast slightly, at least on one characteristic which is it is not wholesome at all it is all right. definitely a, a an ma rating uh or higher i don't know i don't even know what the rating is on this so it is again following with our theme of say the old guard it is both a comic book and now a netflix series um so it is called the boys uh, and um it's not it is, netflix it's not netflix it's amazon prime my friend oh is it amazon prime okay yes. so uh so yes yeah, so um so i actually saw in this case i did it the reverse i saw um the television show or at least the first season of the television show first and then i've been reading reading the comic book it is um it's again see earlier comment 
really uh, on the blue end of the spectrum. Absolutely. Uh, but it is, uh, it is very entertaining and very disturbing. Um, but the, but basically the premise is, you know, it's got a Watchmen-esque sort of vibe to it in that it's a future where there's all these superheroes, um, except the superheroes are essentially have this, this veneer of goodness that they paint mostly through comic books and sort of telling, telling stories. But then they have this like, behind the scenes uh, personality, which is that they're all, many of them are like degenerates and scumbags and genuinely bad people. And so this is about this group of guys who works for the C, uh, sorry, guys and one woman um, who work for the CIA. And basically what they do is um, keep the superheroes in line, which is to say, very aggressively keep the superheroes in line, which often involves torture and killing. And, uh, and, and, and they, they don't scrimp on the, uh, the blood or the gore at all. No, it is. No. And they don't, they do not skimp on the uh, sexual content either. So they've got really all of it um, in terms of what could upset you. But, uh, but that said, it, uh, I have been enjoying it. Maybe I'm just in a dark place right now. And so reading the really dark uh, humor stuff uh, and also the, the guys, two, the two, two of the main characters are, are, um, you know, English slash Scottish um, and, and their little um, sort of the way they talk with each other is great. So that that's in the comic book. That's not on the television show. And the television, television shows only one of them is, is English. Yeah. But um, anyway, if you if you've got time, Amazon Prime for the show or yep. Comicsology or uh, wherever Whatever you get your fine comics. Yeah. Uh, go to the library. The go pick them up at the library. They yeah. have them there. I don't think I, they're in Hoopla. Uh, I did not see them in Hoopla. Uh, I did not. I, you know what? Yeah. Maybe I'll have to check that out. But that's uh, definitely a good recommendation. The boys, uh, maybe a little bit more on the blue end yeah. of, of media. We got the but, two ends of the spectrum. And then here. Bob's Burgers for some wholesome entertainment if you're looking for that too. Wholesome uh, family fun that everybody can enjoy. Yes. Well, yeah. almost everybody. I would say yeah. like middle, maybe middle school. Yeah, order. middle school, right. Yeah, yeah. Element, elementary school kids, it'll be, they won't get it. They won't get yeah, there'll be some, some jokes that fly over their heads. But either yeah. way, um, definitely check those out to bring you some joy. And uh, this is Ollie and Scott, and science in, in between. See you yeah. next time. We'll see you in between. In between. All right. All right.